This will not be a cold open, okay? This has to be buried at the very end of the episode. This is an episode on pleasure. I think it's an appropriate cold open. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenicast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Mona and Alan. We are post-evangelical ministers and theological thinkers grappling with our place in the progressive Christian world. Thank you for joining us for another conversation on faith and culture. This week, we are going to talk about pleasure. The <laughs> Before recording, Jeff said it sounded dirty. It does sound. So. It, sound it, it makes you feel funny to say the word pleasure. And then if you hear it in Blah. a certain way, like pleasure... No, <laughs> it's actually if you say it like that. Right. And uh, for our segment today, we are going to be doing a brand new segment that many you've many of you have probably played in your life, and we're calling it I've Never. Uh, so stay tuned for that after the conversation. So we're talking about pleasure for a very specific reason. And Alan, why don't you tell us that reason? The reason it came up for me, um, I was, I would say in the last couple of months, compiling a list of things I wanted to do in my life like hashtag life goals or bucket list. I don't like calling it bucket list because that makes me feel older. But I I started like compiling a list and then went on a journey where I hit these different places in the span of two weeks. I went to the Grand Canyon for about four hours and then Yellowstone for three hours and really just went through and took pictures and kind of just had a consumer experience of the Western United States and um, I started to think about like what what my relationship to pleasure was like, what my life is about, what I want, what I want to do, what it means to be content, some of the things that I was told growing up in youth group about contentment. So then I asked both of you if you'd be interested in the conversation, and you said you would. And I made you watch a YouTube video from the Idea forced Channel, us. PBS. I forced you. It yes. was not pleasurable. Just kidding. <laughs> Those, you know, the Idea Just Channel kidding. is very pleasurable for me to watch that. Yeah, it is. Um, I love the way that that guy thinks and the way he talks. And this one was about hedonism or about what it, what does it mean to live the good life? Is it about having pleasurable experiences? And I'm sure you can talk a little bit about that when we get into it. But really the question for me is what is my relationship to pleasure and like what role does it play in my life? Uh, Should it be central? Should it not be? Is it whether I want it to or not? I think that's an interesting question. Whether my neurology and neurochemistry sets like pleasure, like pleasure regulates all of my actions and decisions. Um, I think those are interesting questions, and I want to learn how to be content while experiencing all those things. So I'm bringing this to you to talk about it and once again solve all of my problems, my existential crises with my friends. But I think like uh, in my brain, I'm I'm going over a life goals list. Do, do you guys have like a list that is r- anything like what I've described, like things you want to do in your life where you have, I want to go visit this place or try this? Or something like that. Or am I alone in that? I know some people really get into like bucket list kind of things. I've never been that kind of person actually. But I know a lot of people who are. And I think it's really awesome to have dreams like that. Super awesome. I've never written anything down. And I've never hashtagged anything. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, there's stuff I I want to do. But I don't know. I I was always told in school, like have goals and strive for your goals and for some reason that every place I end up in, when whether it started as a, a minister within the evangelical church, and even now, like as I've been learning more about podcasting, I found that I was always around like entrepreneurs and self-promoters and leadership and all that stuff. And I think when I hear goals, I just shut down because it reminds me of that like mode and I don't want anything to do with it because I, I hate it. It's interesting. That's so when I hear goals, that's what I think. But when I think in terms of like pleasurable experiences and things that I want to uh, experience, yeah, I think that's probably my main, I don't know, my main mode. But for me, it's more of like shared experience, I guess. Right. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's different now that I have and I, I know I keep going back to this well, but I kinda can't help it. But it's different now that I have children. Like it's it's all 
when I think in terms of those things, I think in terms of like creating experiences for them and then that in turn becomes an experience for me, like seeing it through different eyes. I don't know. Right. That triggers the rush of dopamine to your brain. That is your reward system that gives you pleasure because you're seeing them experience those things. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Having people you care about and then seeing them happy makes you happy. You know, Uh, I think the reason I'm caught in the middle of this like moment for me is I'm 29. I'm turning 30 in March and I kind of had my life, my life upended recently. And I see online all these things about the nine things you should do before you're 30, the 12 places you should go before this. You should, you should do this. You should do that. Basically like the Buzzfeed cloud that is buzzing around my head and people who are in their twenties. And I feel like there's this big culture of, um, we took to heart, at least me, I, I think a lot of us took to heart the idea that you can't buy happiness. Like it used to be your house, your car, your picket fence, your, um, and then eventually your late model car, your boat, your fishing equipment. And then there you go. That's your a barbecue in the backyard. That's your good life. And then the idea was that, no, you should be investing in experiences because experiences are who are what make you. And then, so everybody is constantly like traveling, going, going to different places, having these experiences and building up the sense of who they are. And, uh, all of that is really connected in my mind to pleasure, like consuming it for, for me going through and consuming it as a way of making my life have meaning and, and matter and, um, pleasures connected to that too. So I think that that's the reason why I'm asking these questions and it's kind of a weird moment. But at the base of it, like, what does the good life look like? Is it about having as many experiences as you can? I think that's uh, in the video that that we watched, you'd call that hedonism, right? Or at least one form of hedonism is that the, the point of life is to have pleasurable experiences. Well, I wonder how much of that wondering for all of us is connected to what we learned in church, right? Like, Maybe this, maybe there are people listening who don't have an evangelical background and they're like, it's weird that they have this this odd relationship with pleasure and life goals and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, like I wonder right. how much of it because really when 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 I was growing up in youth group, whenever like pleasure was maybe that's why it's such a weird word to hear, but it was always associated with with bad and let alone you throw out the word hedonism in church. I mean, goodness. Especially coming from a place where the physical and the spiritual were separated so much in my background in Pentecostalism, there was a lot of that pleasure language, but it was only used in in settings where the the spirit would fall, like in worship settings and stuff like that. And then the only other times that were used, it was in regard to like sex before marriage and drugs and euphoria and like all these other different things. So it was this weird weird language that was only used in these two settings and it was very very confusing and when i think about it it's still kind of confusing and really like (laughs) led to a lot of uh uh needless awkwardness in the way that i move forward into my adult life as i understand it uh john piper recently in the last few years has like coined this phrase christian hedonism or recoined or re recovered this phrase i read all Uh, his books when i was in college so and, you know a lot more than I do yeah, about this. Yeah, I was this. pretty steeped um, in it. But I think in some church circles, maybe not the ones we were in, Jeff, but in some, the word hedonism's been used for, you know, having like ultimate pleasure in God and how being a Christian is like the only true pleasurable experience, like by, through connection to God and and being a Christian, I guess. That's um, the Westminster Yeah, but what, what does that catechism. tangibly, like what does that look like tangibly? Uh, So the definition of Christian hedonism is like God is most glorified. The whole idea is that God needs to be glorified in Christian hedonism. And God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And they would use the term him for God, right? Um, And I think that the, the idea is that you find God pleasing. You find pleasing God pleasing. You find okay, but what uh, does that look like? That's what I'm saying. It's <laughs> I know, like, right? And, and and it's going to be you know, it's where should be God praying, reading your Bible, doing nice acts right. of service. It's right. like being yeah, a good I, Christian, right? Or or maybe you can connect that to your um, progressive platform of what you understand as the Christian message or the gospel or the the point of religion or whatever. It, it's an interesting take that um, that the idea that we living for our own pleasure connects us to like the greatest glory of God. I think that um, fascinating historical context before John Piper, before some of the um, language of Christian hedonism, hedonism referred to 
like a school of thought, right? An ancient Greek school of thought. And you have some of the New Testament writings that are combating that, that are talking about, um, you know, there's leaders, religious leaders who are really indulgent or the temple of Dionysus or all these other places where pleasure was the center of power. And so uh, the Christians were kind of defining themselves against that um, wastefulness and excess and all kinds of stuff. And so there's there's language in the New Testament, especially um, some of the contested letters of Paul <laughs> that I say contested because, you know, he may or may not have written them. And there's good reasons to think he didn't. But in like Second Timothy and in Titus, people are talked about as lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Um, leaders who are, you know, they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And I think that we've borrowed some of that language and then appropriated it into our American Christianity, which has a totally different flavor when it's implemented. Rather than being this like really unique community of Christians who are responding to uh, the the leaders of the day and the religions of the day, which really focused on gratifying this, you know, the pleasures of this upper class um, and really focusing more on being content, even if you're rich, not exploiting people. And then taking that, putting it into an American context, it's just totally different. I've seen it used to keep people down, right? Oh, that's the that's the sexual adolescent that needs to be put in their place. <laughs> so let's like tell them that they need to hate pleasure, right? Rather than thinking about it in these bigger, bigger ways or this historical context. So I think it's interesting that hedonism is now being used by John Piper and other people at like rescuing it, but then turning it into their own unique flavor that makes it not hedonism at all, I think. But well, I'm trying to recall the way it was taught to me. And I think I think there's definitely parts of Christianity that are very self-flagellating, right? It's like if you feel any pleasure that's not directly in like prayer and worship, like you should like punish yourself and feel terribly ashamed, you know? Uh, I don't think that's what I was taught. I think I was taught more like the distraction sort of mentality. Like, yeah, you can you can drive pleasure from a great meal or a symphony, for example, but like because it's not directly worshiping God, so the teaching would go. Uh, it's a distraction from better pleasures or more true pleasures or more true identity in Christ. So um, I think it was, I think to this day, actually, I have a tr- I have trouble like with luxury things or enjoying myself or anything that feels opulent or indulgent. Seriously, like I still shop at thrift stores for everything I own. Like even if I have the means, I almost never buy things new. Um, and that's, I don't know how much that's related to a sense of shame. Like for me, it's not shame. It's more that I feel a sense of like ultimate fairness and that I want to practice gratitude for the simpler things. And that brings me joy. That brings me pleasure. So I don't know. I hear two different things going on there. And that's fascinating because I think you touched on something very true. Like, oh, you're taking pleasure in a great meal or like a work of art. And it doesn't have anything to do necessarily with God. So it's just a distraction. First well, of all, I think that's bull crap. That's, that's bull crap, right? Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's unfortunate. That's really sad. But that's what we were taught. I mean, I broke CDs, right? Non-Christian CDs that didn't oh my gosh. point me to I God. So, or... I made my friend Sarah bring her InSync CD after she oh, got no. it at the InSync concert because she was committing idolatry. It was There were many tears. This she should have thing broken it because it was InSync, not because she it She smashed was. it. Yeah. She should have oh. been broken anyway. Just Come not be, for religious reasons. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the second thing is like, I think a commitment to uh, contentment with thrift store items or living a simpler life, I think that's a central tenet of Christianity. And I think it's more appropriate now than it was in ancient Christianity because we live in such a consumeristic culture that prizes certain things and like is ridiculously and wildly materialistic, not in the sense that materialism – you know, materials are bad, but this over focus and indulgence on having and consuming and collecting, I think it hurts us and it hurts us spiritually. So I, I hear you like doing both. It's a good thing to, to love simplicity and to embrace that and to learn to be content, but it's a really bad thing to think that enjoying life or being told that enjoying life distracts you from God (laughs) because like, why the hell are you here? <laughs> you That's know so I mean? bifurcated, like, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. But it's true because I had that too. Well, I wonder like how much of our view of pleasure is connected to or even a reflection of our view of humanity. Like I just got finished uh, a, a couple weeks ago finishing. I don't know if you guys saw Westworld on HBO. Did you see that? No, no, no I've heard good things about oh, it. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, but the whole premise is like it's basically it's basically like the rise of machines, right? So these these created androids with 
you know, are developing consciousness and people are coming in and the Dr. Ford character has created this world where people can come and experience like the old West so they can shoot people and all this kind of stuff. And every time it talks about the humans, it's like, they're only here to, you know, kill an F, you know, they, they kill someone down the road and then they go into the whorehouse and, you know, fulfill all their fantasies. And there's still that basic idea that if all consequences were stripped away, if we're in a post-apocalyptic area and there's nothing else, like even with the walking dead, like that our basic instinct is to destroy and be evil and indulge in the pleasures that are always at the expense of someone else. And somehow society keeps us from experiencing those things. Exactly. And so we we have to do it in a virtual sense, which is, I feel like is very much regardless of church or anything, regardless, like the very much the philosophy kind of in our culture, like that seems to be, what most people, if you pin them down, would like default to. If we're going to talk about pleasure, we can't not talk about consequences and how that sure. judges what we feel as pleasure. And we're always struggling with like immediate pleasure versus long-term pleasure. It seems like the rap of hedonism, this this is a phrase that to me always accompanies hedonism. Uh, it's very famous. Eat, drink, and be merry for... Tomorrow we die. Yeah. So... I, I think that, Jeff, to me, that that phrase goes along with consequences, because if tomorrow we die, there are no consequences. And if, uh, you know, I think hedonism in the in the kind of classic populist traditional understanding is like it, hedonists are pegged as people who don't give a, a crap about consequences or who realize that at the end of the day, any effort you make to make the world better is really futile. It's really it can be extremely nihilistic. Or perhaps there is a sense in which we recognize how small we are. And it's not a futility or nihilism, but it's a saying, tomorrow we die as in life is short. And in like a Mary Oliver sense, what are you doing with your one wild and precious life? We don't have innumerable days to experience pleasure on this earth and to really truly enjoy the gift of life that we've been given so that phrase to me can go two completely different directions you know it maybe looks similar it can but but don't you feel like in both those directions there's a denial that our actions have any eternal nature to them that they won't last beyond our death i i would i would rephrase that even Jeff, I think like that our actions don't have an impact on anything outside of us, you know, like they don't impact God or I knew you're going to say God sort of ultimate reality. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> not not well, just eternal impact, but in the here and now, like our our choices and decisions affect have a lot of meaning specifically because we are creatures, because we are a part of the creation. You know, so so it sounds like what we're saying, though, cumulatively is like just enjoying your life is not enough. Like you have to contribute more to society or to the world or else you're a piece of crap. No, I think it, maybe it's a reevaluation of what you enjoy. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's the Christian hedonist and me being like, don't have small pleasures. Really find your pleasure in God. I used to preach that all the time in in my youth group growing up. But I, I, I don't want to bypass nihilism because that's a total, totally like valid way to go. Right. To think that there is no meaning and that you are just going to embrace um, the the things that are in front of you, the the here and now and the things that you find meaningful. I think that that's an interesting concept. And I think that um, it is, but it's not it's not but isn't a, that what any of us can do. Yeah, it's not the it's not it's not the Christian way. Right. Like the, right. I don't think you can make an argument for nihilism within the philosophy right. of Christianity. Oh, oh uh, so the the no, no, definitely not. I think. The video from the Idea Channel discusses that directly when he talks about that um, experiment. Do you guys remember him saying there's an experiment where there's a virtual world and you can plug in and there's literally no difference? You cannot tell the difference whatsoever between this world and that world. And in that world, you'll have as much pleasure as you want or that can be orchestrated. And so the question is whether do you plug in or not, right? If you're a true like hedonist, the idea is that yes, you would do that because the most pleasure is what you're after. And no, so the- I, I don't, and I don't think it would work though because instant gratification reduces pleasure. Like s- studies show that all the time. Because uh, of because of dopamine depletion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you can construct a world where you can artif- artificially snap your fingers and and have any pleasure at your disposal, you probably get extremely depressed. No, but you would have a, a world where you have an architect setting it up to where pleasure is maximized. Not giving you all at once, maybe they're even small pleasures, but set up in such a way that you'll have more pleasure than if you just kind of lived your life. 
you know? Yeah, and but so I feel like, like you could live that way in your real life and that could be a choice. <laughs> so that that's interesting. You think pleasure is a choice and not necessarily dependent on the environment that a person is in. That's, Can I tell that's a really inappropriate story? <laughs> <laughs> if not here, where? Exactly. Where? Yes, true. Well, okay. This is so a safe I was, space. I was in Cuba with my friend Danny. And Danny is this my wonderful gay friend who is very sexually liberated and uh, was in seminary with me and often wears like very sensual lingerie jock straps underneath his robe when he's preaching because for him that's very liberating and is a sign of his uh, sexuality before God is being holy. Uh, so he's a character. And so we were in Cuba and we were... Uh, I, I was positing to him the possibility that perhaps, uh, th- and this is a really weird theory, and I've never heard anyone else say anything about like this. If you've heard anything like this, I'd be interested to hear about it. But if if sexuality can be operantly conditioned, like sexual like arousal, so I was like, so what if you every time you aroused got aroused, like in in Pavlov's dog experiment style right so you remember pavlovic's dogs uh every time they got hungry and there was a meal there was a bell ring and pretty soon the bell could signal salivation in the dog just without the smell of food right uh just by okay so i was saying what if you could do that with sexual arousal what if you could every time you got aroused like sing a song and then eventually maybe the song itself would arouse you without a stimuli you know or i'm sure Okay, so this yeah. is interesting to me, right? Can you operately condition your sense of pleasure or, or excitement about the the world? So the whole week we were in Cuba, he was singing, da 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 da, and I would know secretly that he was aroused at that moment and he was trying to operately condition himself. So that he I was, was standing lo- at attention for the president. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And I would just lose it. I would just crack <laughs> Jeffrey, up, no. right? Uh, so by the end of the week, the experiment was not not yet successful it probably would take a lot longer of practicing this on a regular basis but uh we had a hoot trying to do that and uh i appreciated his candor in allowing me in on that process uh only vis-a-vis hearing the song and planning the experiment not any other way the answer is the answer is yes i do believe we can (laughs) we can train ourselves and mess around with the hard wiring of our reward systems to create different reward loops that um, that are associated with with pleasure, and so that's and maybe complete. we have a lot more control over this than we think but we do. You know, I think it's a great tool to have for a person. What you're talking about reminds me of people who believe in like <laughs> this is going to sound terrible. I know this is not what you're talking about at all, but that's the same logic behind things like conversion therapy. People feel like they can convert you know sexual pleasure into something totally different based on um, stimuli, and I think like for a person personally. It is a, an extremely powerful tool, <laughs> whether you want to be aroused in a certain situation, so you sing a song, or whether you want to quit like smoking or something else. I think learning to train and retrain the way your brain releases dopamine, and that's really how we f- feel pleasure. It comes down to a chemical reaction, and I think that people can train their brains. What's interesting about that is uh, I just recently did a study for Advent, this last Advent, and uh, I'm, I called it the the rhythm of waiting. So talking about that space of waiting and creating hope and anticipation and stuff like that. And I ran across some studies about dopamine. And one of the common misconceptions about dopamine is the fact that it releases at its, <laughs> at its, uh, its highest point when you've received your reward, but that's not the case. You actually receive the highest amount of dopamine in the anticipation for what you're about to receive, which I think can reframe the way we think about pleasure when we actually receive the most pleasure before whatever event that is pleasurable to us. Oh man, you know, my my brain went to, this is a very cynical thought maybe, but how in that case, how brilliant is it to craft an entire religion around anticipation and hope for something that's <laughs> imminent? That, like I had that exact same thought as I was coming. preparing for the class. Fascinating. That's fascinating. That's why I, I love the imminence. Uh, not just... Like it's going to come, but God, not just something that's going to arrive, but the fact that in Christianity, there's also the, I, there's also a really strong sense that God is already active, already operative, especially in the, you know, person of Jesus and in the spirit. Um, 
Sorry, I don't know why I feel like I have to defend my <laughs> Christianity all of a sudden, but you're right. I think it's a powerful <laughs> tool. I think it's a power. I think using pleasure to control people is a very powerful tool. I think that um, there are things such as weapons scarce. of mat. Yeah, weapons of mass distraction. You talked about pleasure being a distraction. I think sometimes it's used not by God, but by people that have nefarious purposes, or uh, you know, there's p- pleasure is such a. Um, such a unique tool, I think, if you think about it that way, for humanity, for the way we craft ourselves, for the way we experience the world, that other powerful forces and people have learned and studied and gotten master's degrees in how to control that and how to manipulate it. So I think that that's, I think you're touching on something uh, interesting to me. So maybe the question is not necessarily like, is pleasure the point, but what should we strive to take pleasure in or what should we uh, like because you can start to take pleasure in things like going to the gym sucks, right? It's terrible. But if you do it enough, it comes to, it gets to a point where it becomes a pleasurable thing. And I think that, um, if we put the work in, like we have a lot of power over right. what we can do and how we can change our perspectives and all that kind of stuff. And I think, I think that's more of a worthy movement forward is really reanalyzing the things that bring, bring us pleasure and changing those if need be. Um, because really, if the goal is pleasure, it's not like we're taking pleasure away. We're just redirecting it into something else. Um, man, I, does anyone else feel like this conversation is really difficult to have without like making, I, there's like 8 million inappropriate jokes that I've <laughs> wanted to make through this conversation. Yeah. Um, uh, so. well, before Having we ju- – are you jumping on to a different topic or no, you – No, no, no. I'm going back to okay. what we were just talking about. Going back to though that video, it, I mean the whole point of that video and I thought this was interesting and he didn't flesh it out too, too much. But the idea of true pleasure that you know, if you start from the position of we all have sinful natures, then all pleasure is immediately suspect all the time. And you almost have to have the burden of proof to prove that your pleasure is holy right. pleasure or not. But if you start from the perspective of, uh, you know, a creator God made humans with the capacity to feel true pleasure, like honest, like pure, lovely, like good, like good pleasure. I know that sounds weird to say, but I, I do think that there can be like really corrupt and twisted pleasures that come from places of, we'll say misaligned or unhealthy pleasure. But, you know, if we're teaching people that they're to listen to their inherent sense of what is a right sense of pleasure to feel um, then maybe that's a better approach, you know? So those are two definitely different ways to look at human pleasure. Like either it's always suspect and uh, until proven innocent, or this life is a gift from God and we enjoy it. And in enjoying our lives, enjoying art, enjoying food, we are in fact enjoying God because this is a gift and all good things come from the father of lights, as it says in, in James. But I, I think that there is a sense that uh, lust for more and consumption and greed are powerful forces that can really shape human brains and human societies and cultures from the very beginning. And we've, we've recognized that. And I think that some of the talk of tamping down pleasure or like dethroning it from the center of our lives or maybe retraining our, our brains is because when those things get out of control or something. This is how I envision it. When my pleasure gets out of control and starts to hurt other people, it's a powerful force that has its power over me rather than the other way around. Oh, that's a good way to say it. I really Mm -hmm. like that. It takes away my agency. Whereas I love how you're talking about being able to train my brain to take pleasure in different things. (laughs) I, my, uh, my list of life goals or whatever is like a hundred different items long, but most of them are small things because I purposely take pleasure in small things. I read a book by the astronaut, uh, Chris Hatfield. He is the author of, um, how to live like an astronaut or something on earth or something like that. And I read it and he, he said this one line that stuck in my brain and it was either you're only going to cherish the most spectacular moments. Like when you're looking out from, the uh the hole and seeing the earth you're only going to really cherish those and that's it or you're going to cherish all of life all of the small parts all of the little moments and so that there's a choice between those two things and i think after reading that i decided i do take pleasure and joy in small things and i can do that more 
And if I'm if I'm only chasing after the big stuff, I'm going to miss out on a lot of what life has to offer. So I on my list, it's not just things like visit the Grand Canyon. It's things like I want to use a washboard. You know, one of those washboards <laughs> with like the old school ones. <laughs> You want to play it or you want to clean no, with it? No, I want to actually clean clothes with it. Yeah, I want to like <laughs> I wanna Jeff, you're use a washboard. No, Why do you want to use the washboard? It's just so Alan. Because, it's just so because you, Because I've always seen cartoons and they're using it or I've seen old movies and stuff and like, I wonder what that's like. You know what I mean? I take things for granted. I, I want to like make a piece of clothing because I've never had to do that in my entire life. Just things that like I've I've ex- experienced in my life, having clothes, having a washing machine or even like milking a cow things like that. I, I, I want to experience some of that stuff. Um, because like, I, I want to take pleasure in the small things and not just the big stuff. And you know, I think it can deepen your appreciation for things too. Like, I think that goes for like literally any skill you learn. Like, you know, we have, we've talked about this in, in the past, like the creativity ex- episode I'm thinking about Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the idea that our culture is so obsessed with success and prodigies that like people won't learn new things because they're afraid to not be good at them. Well, what about learning something just to appreciate it? Like learn, like I learned how to paint. Like I think I'm kind of a crappy painter, but I love it. And it, when I go to the museum, like I just am in awe because I know now how hard it is having learned a little bit about it to do what these painters are doing. You know, that could go for anything that could go for making clothes and think about all the hundreds of clothes items you've made in your life and learning how to make even one will make you have a deeper appreciation for all of them. That way of thinking, I think is, I, I probably shouldn't use this word, but the only thing that comes to mind is cancerous. I think, I think it eats away at something. Um, what, what, wait, wait, what, what? The, the, the way of thinking that only if you're super good at it, you're, then okay. you're going to like invest yourself in it. <laughs> I, I think you're calling sure where you were going. No, with that no, 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 the, the way of thinking that you're that. articulating. Yeah. The, the one that you're yeah, the punching yeah. bad, you're beating it up on. I'm, I'm joining in with you Thank because, you. because I, th- I think human societies used to be really small. They used to have a village and you'd have the speaker in the village, someone who's really good at speaking, someone who's good at this, someone who's good at that. And they enjoyed that, right? Because it was, whether it was amazing or not, it was something they provided for their small community. Now that we live in a globalized society, it's like there is always someone better than you, right? And so you're only going to like hyper-specialize. You're not going to enjoy all of the different things life has to offer because you have to be so cutting edge and so good at what you do because you're in competition with the rest of the world. And now we have the the YouTubes that tell people like even more how much prodigy, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And, and, and what you're saying is that uh, competition becomes like the, the focal point of that stuff rather than, um, experience gone are the rather days than appreciation yeah, rather than appreciation gone are the days when renaissance men were like the center of everything right when you could do when you could be a scientist like leonardo da vinci and have like inventions and create art and do all kinds of stuff and play music that's gone that's not like what the vision of a whole complete human being that like that we strive for i think what we really strive for is the hyper individualistic specialization that came with the industrial revolution, but that's a fantastic. That, that I that's bet a, there are Renaissance people out there. We just don't yeah. care about them, and we don't care about them as much, honestly. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, but taking pleasure in the small things, uh, I'm finding that I have retrained myself to do that rather than just so glossing them over. You're a small things hedonist. I am, and you know what's funny is I didn't realize that until in the middle of this conversation, realizing like I really do care about what I take pleasure in. There's and, a word for that, though. What? hipster right no no don't do that hey alan can i talk can i tell the story of your can i talk about your bug book my bug book yes go ahead go yeah well okay so i was at alan's house and i found this book and i opened it up and there's these beautiful drawings of bugs and i was like alan did you draw these pictures of bugs and he he got like super embarrassed (laughs) I don't know why you got embarrassed because I I'm think you saw me right smile. Oh, <laughs> I thought it was like, I'm not even going to use a patronizing word like endearing. I thought it was actually really cool. And then he explained that he thought he wanted to have a greater appreciation for his like neighborhood. So he was walking around and like drawing pictures of like plants and bugs and animals that he saw around his house. And I thought that was like, I'd never heard of anybody doing that before. I was like, it was really awesome. I'm sorry. You thought I was making fun of you. I probably <laughs> no, was no, a little bit you were making just because it's my all. job as your cousin no. to make fun of you. But No, I don't think you were making fun of me at all. No, it's uh, it's just that sometimes, you know, you're ashamed for the small pleasures that you take in life. I think if you're not pleased by the best and greatest, then you're somehow 
less than other people. What pleases me is like, you know, I saw a meme on where that came from was I was on Facebook and I saw the meme that has like, you know, the Nike brand, Crocs, something else. And it was like, name all of these and you could name all of them because they're all they're all very obvious symbols. But then it had like six different leaves and it was like, name one of these. <laughs> you couldn't name even one because you're so disconnected from the natural world. And so oh, in my mind, I was like, I want to I want to know in my backyard the names of stuff. And so a good way of ex- exploring that was drawing them so I could actually get to know them. Because I think when you have to draw something, you you pay attention to the detail. Otherwise, I, I just like look at it and I don't really remember what it is. So, yes, I'm on a quest to learn the names of 100 bugs and 100 plants in my backyard. And I take a lot of pleasure in that. And I think that that's connected to my spirituality, um, just like using a washboard or whatever. Or roasting so that, a batch of coffee beans, Jeff. Right. That's that, on my list of things I want to do. That to me is a central question. Is those are those things directly participating in the worship of God, even though you're not even really consciously maybe thinking about God while you do it? I would say unabashedly yes. So you don't have to you don't have to sing a worship song. You don't have to pray. No, you don't have to tell someone about Jesus. Like that stuff counts as holy pleasure. Hold on now. I I, I really do. I'm having fun with this. That's true. Yeah. You agree, Jeff? I do. I do. Yeah. I've always, Maybe I've I always felt that way before, huh? Oh, because, oh, oh, whoa. No, I didn't think that way before. I just realized I preached a sermon one time, probably where it says like, <laughs> without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's in the new Testament, probably yes, in the writings of Paul um, or maybe James. And like the, the idea is that I think the context of, of that passage is talking about like um, in in a community in in religious services, believe in what you're doing. Don't just go through the motions because it's not pleasing to God to have these religious rituals that have no meaning for you. And you're not actually participating in something that you believe in. And I think like what I took from that was I, I have to have faith in everything I do. I have to be thinking about God in everything I do in every moment. Um, <laughs> I, I watched a, the guy who was flying the plane and it was crashing into the Hudson. Do you know who I'm talking about? The yeah. pilot solely. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Jeff. Um, I can always count on you for good memory. References. Wow. It's true. <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. Uh, and it's, and he was asked on television while I was working out at the time, uh, this, this anchor said, were, were you praying while, while it was going down? <laughs> Cause you're a Christian. And he's like, no, <laughs> and then she's like he said excuse? i was concentrating and she was like, on flying excuse the plane. me and he was like no i i was thinking about i was gonna land it in the hudson and i was like <laughs> that's a perfect picture of like what or what religion or uh, my evangelicalism and what i preached did to people was that it it's bifurcated a learned helplessness reality, like you talked about and if it's Can not be. If it's yeah. not baptized, if it doesn't have the name of God on it, if it doesn't have a fish sticker on it, then somehow it's not bringing glory to God, right? And that's that's like the Christian hedonist way almost, thinking that everything has to be about God in every single moment for it to glorify God. But I truly believe when people enjoy – when creation is in the joy of creating, of existing um, – of all of those of curiosity things that, yeah, that God is glorified being fully alive, whether the person has faith or knows that that's happening or not, I believe God is glorified in it. So how yeah. do you not just completely unravel like quote unquote, the gospel, like being saved message in that though? I'm, I'm totally playing devil's advocate. Cause I love, that's my favorite, but you know, if you can take pleasure in like whatevs, uh, I'm not trying to downplay what you're saying, but like, actually though, if you can just pl- take pleasure and have a perfectly connected relationship to nature and to others like without needing to invoke god's name or do any of the religious stuff then why do you why need religion then i i think that the gospel message is very different than what i used to and i think it's an invitation to participation with the divine i am trinitarian and i believe that uh god in jesus is inviting people to participate more fully in god Right. But like, if they're doing that, ar- they it's are. already happening. Yeah, That's it's already point, happening right? now. Right. It's yeah, it's already happening now. You're already participating in the life of God because you live in this world and because you're, you know, a part of it. But I think that religion for me and the gospel for me is a greater invitation. So it's if you if you if you invitation. name it, it becomes more pleasurable. Wait, what? 
Well, like you say, if you're already participating in the act of worship by appreciating culture or, or culture or creation or whatever, you're missing out unless you acknowledge that it's God, or you're missing out on the fullness of that unless you acknowledge that it's God. Um, Otherwise, what's the difference? More explicit participation. Yeah. So, so and, crying and out, oh, oh, God makes it better. I'm not saying that everybody yes. is. Wait, wait, Good hang Lord. on, hang Sorry. on. I, God, that's like you three times it. it's happened. I actually do believe in like in the I'm concepts sorry. in the concepts of evil and of sin, and I you do had to believe slip one in there at least. I'm sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Alan. I'm. That's totally fine. I actually do believe in the concepts of sin and evil, and I don't believe that there is probably a human on this planet that is in perfect harmony with themselves, with society, with nature. Like I, I don't. I think that that is. Although a goal, I think it's one that we do terribly at across the planet, across cultures uh, and and identifiers. I think we we do poorly at all of that. And I think. Uh, it, so essentially what you're saying, it, what I'm hearing you say is that Christianity like helps usher people toward enlightenment. Right. Yeah. And that it's an unfolding of God. It's a, yeah. An unfolding of how we are participating in the world. But it's not just enlightenment. It's also a call to a totally different way of living that challenges the um disconnected disassociated consumptive like violent way of being in the world that harms nature harms each other harms relationship i don't think uh i think all of that the whole picture of it whatever's happening does have a connection to god whether um life or death or anything in between i believe god's a part of all of it and is present at every moment and there is significance there but i think that there are greater and lesser ways of participating in that life. And so for me, like, yeah, if someone is enjoying their backyard, that's participation in the divine, right? But if somebody goes over um, and steals from other people, exploits uh, the land and people to enjoy that stuff, that that's not necessarily participation in God's like desire for the world, you know? So I think that there are there are differences. It doesn't unravel the whole gospel for me, not even a little bit. It actually makes it more clear. And that is like all of these things are good. Well, like the human pleasure and human uh, life and enjoying life is a good thing. Maybe it's not the total Yeah, but it's point. not, is it the best for you? I, I don't think it's the central. Yeah. I, I would answer this question like toward the end of this conversation that my pleasure is not the center of the universe. And the only reason I answer that way is I come from a really big family and I was one of 16 cousins and I was taught like, I have a place at the table, but I'm not the center of the table. I'm not the center of the universe. You know, like there's I other conversations to that. Yeah. going on. Pleasure, pleasure is not the most important thing. It's an important component of life. But if it weren't for people foregoing their pleasure, we wouldn't have humanity because like women wouldn't have babies. We, we wouldn't have people building societies and sacrificing their lives to like hang up power lines. You know, it, it must be uncomfortable to hang a power line, but it is it makes people's lives better. You know, it must be dangerous to hang a pi- power line, but it makes people people's lives better. So I, I think I think preoccupation with pleasure can be dangerous. I'm, I'm really agreeing with what you guys said earlier um, and that there are things that often go go beyond for the sake of love that maybe would cause people to forego pleasure, at least for a time. Maybe the only reason we're having this conversation is because we're rugged individualists. Right. And we think of pleasure in just the individual sense. I mean, I think it could be a pleasure I, I to sacrifice if, for somebody. Like that right. could be pleasure to, right, right. to give out of your your plenty or to to make the world better for someone. Yeah, yeah to I connect mean, your pleasure to the the good of the whole, right? And and that being like your ethic. I think there are people in the world who think very differently than I do. And <laughs> this conversation might even sound weird to them that we're like somehow separating our pleasure from the benefit of the whole world. Because in truth, like if our pleasure is at the expense of other people, like I don't. I wonder how legitimate or real that is, you know? I I think there's a problem when any one thing becomes our preoccupation for living. Except except God. That's what John Piper would say. That's what John Piper would say. I'm sure he would. Uh, But God isn't everything, so... I guess. <laughs> did you wait? Wait. Did you say God isn't everything, or isn't God everything. is in everything? God he said it is isn't. in. No, is in. in. Oh, in is, is in. in. Right. Like I mean, th- that's why. That's why I don't like. 
That's why I don't like talking about God and stuff like this, because it, it, it can easily become just the end all be all. Like, well, I'm preoccupied with love. Well, God is love. I, you know, or I'm preoccupied with justice. Well, God is just like God can be everything. And we get that and we understand that. And we all have our different views and nuances on where God is. But like down to like the, the nitty gritty of living our lives, I don't think it's healthy to be preoccupied with any one thing in the way that we which are, uh, in the way that we live our lives. Like to a certain extent, I believe our circumstances should dictate the pleasures we seek, whether we're in a family situation or whether we're in a work situation where it's appropriate to to take pleasure in that promotion or doing well at our job. But we don't need to take that home and have that same pleasure in our interactions with our relationships or, or whatever. And I think that that's I think that's unhealthy across the board is to be preoccupied with any one thing in the right. that guides our life. I, I think it's helpful to inject the divine into my thinking about certain pleasures, though. I think I, I come from a background where all pleasure was bad if it's not God focused on it. Like that, that, that's how I felt come, coming out of youth group and coming out of evangelicalism. And I think it's like I, I was reading um, the book Divine Dance by Richard Rohr that came out with uh, Mike Morell. And at one point he, he says, like, God, the divine life is operating in the excitement of a teenage boy at his, at, at, like, the idea of his new girlfriend, right? You're thinking of this like teenage boy getting excited. He just has this new girlfriend. <laughs> thinking about God being operative. No, it's perfect. It's actually perfect. No, no, it's actually perfect. It's actually perfect because like that to me is like uh, it has all the like you know the minefield of evangelicalism was really centered around like adolescent Shaming sexuality, right? Yeah, yeah, that that's absolutely. what it was. And to think that God is operative in that is just like blows my mind right to think that god is is um is a part of that stuff reveals to me how i love the word you used bifurcated my idea of god's participation in pleasure truly god is. made it it hardly and, surprises god right adolescents right, yeah. are sexual budding sexual geniuses <laughs> or what you know however you want to say that's how human humanity keeps going that's that's the circle of life man like how is this i'm, I'm just i'm so, like i'm still aghast at the the kinds of things that i was taught about adolescent sexuality and abstinence and true love's ways i've gone on this rant so many times but i mean really to try to control uh adolescent sexuality to the degree that people do these days like that causes so many lasting effects and and i think honestly i've known so many people who have who have been this is so interesting. Speaking of pleasure and cultivated pleasure and the role of shame in what cultivates your pleasure. I, I know so many people who've told me that they've developed a porn addiction because they've come out of this evangelical bogus sexuality shaming stuff and they tried to sexually liberate themselves, but they're so full of shame that they ended up de uh, developing like intense porn addictions as a result. I, I, I do think there's a direct link there. So anyway, uh, I think unraveling that shame stuff is really important. Uh, another way to say that uh, I think is that until we have a really robust understanding of the way that uh, God is glorified by people just being people and the world being the world and people enjoying the world until we really get a gri grip on that. It's difficult to say when pleasure gets off kilter or when it's uh, less healthy or bad, because if we don't have that like robust understanding of God is glorified by human pleasure, then it's um, we're going to constantly do stuff like you just named. And that by is by most human pleasure. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you have to qualify most. it, right? Right. But, but, but it's not everything, right? Because I think that that's, that, that's where I'm landing on is I don't know like how much of a role it should play, or at least it plays different roles in different people's lives, right? Well, because everyone has different views of what brings them pleasure. Like that's the, the hard point. That's the hard part about having a conversation like this is that, you know, we're using pleasure in this generic term, but that means so many different things for so many different people. Like even amongst us, like the fact that you want to use a washboard is so far off the spectrum of what I would consider <laughs> pleasurable in any way, right. shape or form. But, but I still agree with you in the concept of appreciating the little things. Then it becomes a question of, well, what little things are you talking about? Uh, so I think, there's a certain subjectiveness. So everybody is just, so every single person is just doing what the dopamine in their brain is saying. Whether you're very devout religious folk or you're a hedonist who is pursuing um, 
a, a life of extreme pleasures in the eyes of society, does it come down to like everybody's just doing what makes them feel good? Or is it sort of, I think, I think it comes down to when we're thinking of things that are pleasurable, like what, how much is it, is it, is the pleasure extending beyond us? Like if I take pleasure in the garden, there are other people that are going to enjoy that to a certain extent, whether it's a food garden and I'm feeding people or whether they, they look at the flowers that I plant or whatever. I think that especially from a, from a Christian ethic or a Christian standpoint, like our pleasure needs to move beyond just us into something else. And even if you look at it, like I'm doing this for a pleasurable reason, like I'm, I'm creating myself as a healthy person. And then the more healthy I am and appreciation I have for the things around me, the more that that attitude connects to other people and creates and amplifies that pleasure for others and not just myself. I think that, that, you know, you, someone mentioned earlier, I don't remember who, but you, that idea of greed can easily become into it. Like if I'm just seeking stuff for myself, where does that come into? And I'm just hoarding and gathering and doing all this stuff. And I don't see pleasure extending any extending beyond myself at all. I don't know. I have to agree with you, Jeff. I think the more I think about them, the more logical it becomes that your pleasure should not only do no harm, but should also uh, reach beyond your your own individual self. Because, Absolutely. Uh, if we're created to live in community and religious community is a thing that we should strive to be, right? You have to pay attention to the, to, to the interstitial, like the things that come between the stitches, the formal, like I'm in formal community with you because we say we are, or we we both attend the same church. It's like the tissue that's actually between it that that's connecting us with bonds of friendship and affection and and care. Uh, so, and that comes by helping each other and 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 showing each other. Um, what it means to live a good life, you know, together. And if if God is love, then God's active in all of that. Whether in all of that interconnective tissue, yeah, wh- whether and, it's known or not, or named or not, yes, and in, and yes, stark Ellen, individualism then, stark individualism <laughs> then, individualism then is a kind of a violence against community or the like the opportunity cost of not of not letting your pleasures go beyond yourself, yeah, and taking pleasure in other people experiencing pleasure like that that whole phrase that we have like seeing through the eyes of someone else uh again i'm going to the parent well but i hate parades i hate musicals but my girls loved the sound of music and i took them to a christmas parade and i i would never do it on my own i don't like those things those things are not something that i like but i still gained an immense amount of pleasure from being participating in those things because i was seeing it through someone else's eyes like and that that's part of that. It's like our our pleasure is a shared experience. Yeah. Or it should be. I mean, like when it we stop be. looking exactly. at each yeah. other in the eyes and we stop paying attention to each other's emotional state and we stop caring about each other, like we reduce the opportunity for ourselves to find pleasure in other people's pleasure. Exactly. All right. So any any final thoughts as we, we close this conversation? Final thought for me is that um, all those answers sound like really clean, but in truth, it's very complex in that oftentimes uh, pleasure, our personal pleasures will interact with others and they won't always agree and we could do our best to do no harm, but sometimes it's important to follow those. I think that a spiritual practice of contentment in the midst of experiencing pleasures is vital for, at least for the Christian life. I think I, I read the New Testament and I read the teachings of Jesus and I think that a robust embrace embrace of contentment, not telling other people, hey, you can't have your pleasures, you have to live life this way, but to ourselves internalize the idea that we can be content with little or content with much, as Paul says in Philippians, um, is the appropriate balance to uh, a life, especially living now in the United States in 2016, when there are 2017, when there are powerful forces that seek to manipulate our pleasures as it always has been. Probably um, it's important to learn the the art of contentment in the midst of that and to not, and to not bifurcate reality into pleasures being against God or something like that. I would say is that most people listening to this right now are probably in the same boat as us. Where we've been taught that pleasure is bad or maybe uh, you know, you're involved in some sort of ministry or kind of giving context where you always put other people's pleasure before your own, you know. So I want to speak to that 
So in that context, I think I would say it is your God-given right as a human being this earth to experience pleasure and to seek out for yourself what is holy pleasure. Like, what does that look like for you? Um, and I would say go find it, you know, take take time to find that for yourself. If that means if that means climbing a mountain or holding a steaming mug of tea or uh I don't know, painting someone's nails. I I I don't know. But I think we all have the right to determine what that looks like for us and what it looks like in community. Absolutely. And uh, let us know what you think. To add your voice to this particular conversation, you can comment at the show notes at irenacast.com slash 97. And there you'll find links to the things that we talked about and a complete list of all the ways that you can like, follow, and contact the show. That's irenacast.com slash 97. Uh, on the other side of the music, we will bring our new segment in, I Have Never. This segment, I've never. Many of you have maybe heard it. What's the name, Alan? That that it also <laughs> goes by. Name, Alan? It's a more embarrassing name. Never have I ever. Never have I ever. Never have I ever. So basically, the premise of this is to find out who the most naive and innocent person amongst you is, and uh, exploit that for <laughs> pleasure. Right? <laughs> yes. Uh, I just want to say I've never lost this game because literally I've obeyed all the rules and. Lit a very uneventful life in my time. Well, yeah. we're, so, so how, we need uh, to change that first of all. Second of all, uh, you know, we're fighting for for guts and glory here. So, right, I'm not going to hold back any punches. I'm oh, shoot. I'm just I'm just giving you a heads up. So, so Alan, since you are the master of this game, apparently, explain to us how this works. Usually, you, everybody would hold their hand up, and they'd have five points, and. The last person to lose all their points wins. So say uh, someone says, I've never done this. If you've done it, you lose a point. And so it'll go all the way down. And once you've lost all five points, you're out of the game. So we are each responsible for keeping track of our points and verbalizing when we've lost a point and then how many points we have left so that you, the listener, can keep track and perhaps play along and see. So the more experienced you are, the quicker you're going to lose is how this game goes. This is a game where the last shall be first and the first shall That's be right, last. where the prudes will rule the day. Love it. <laughs> Except if you play uh, Babies after like I do. Ooh, like you said, guts and glory. Cheap. Better not be anything about gender because that's a classic. Well, in a I'll room. tell you my first one. Can I go uh, first? Yeah, might as well go first. You've. I have never owned a penis. See, that's... You didn't stipulate any be, rules, man. I was just about to, and then you're like, hey, can I go first? Okay, but one time I had All a right. dream that I did, and it was trippy. Let's talk about the, well, first Wait, of all. Wait, hold on. Before first of we all. talk about that. <laughs> well, holy crap. First before of all, I've never, that, first of you, all. You yeah. were specific as owning, so I can say <laughs> oh, that I have I never either, say. because I don't view myself as property or something that to be he is bought his or sold. Penis. What? That's right. So no, I have no, never you either. Have, you own one. You are a penis owner. Mo- Mona, no, I'm not. you don't understand. I, mean, I don't know. I can't speak for you. This is play at your own risk. What if what if you believe you are your penis? Then you don't own one. You know what I mean? If you if you want to play with the semantics, I mean I I don't (laughs) I only know you guys in a in a cursory way. So this is totally up to you to decide. I was gonna say I was gonna say we should talk we should talk about the philosophy of do you own body parts and ownership of body or whether you are your body. But then you made it but then you made a comment about having a certain dream that I would like to hear more about someday. That sounds very fascinating. It was just strange. Like this thing was just like hanging on my body that I wasn't <laughs> familiar with. I guys, come on, we're adults. But I just want to say that if you if you keep the point and you say that you do not own a penis, then you have to tell people from now on that you don't own a penis. <laughs> That's fine. Because if someone is you, thinking you're going in, on the record here. If that question insinuates that I've never purchased a dildo. No, like, it doesn't. To own a penis all. is that to me that insinuates like not the actual penis. So I'm gonna keep the point and no, I can okay. I'll, I'm fine. We can make this the cold open. I do not own a penis. I do not own a penis. <laughs> what? I, this backfired spectacularly. Will not be a cold open. Okay. This has to be buried at the very end of the episode. This is an episode on pleasure. I think it's an appropriate cold <laughs> open. No. No, 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 no. 
I'll lose a point because I don't I play by the spirit of the game Alex and not semantics. So uncomfortable. Right. Okay. <laughs> but do not make that the freaking cold open. No. All right, Jeff, give us your first one. I have four points now. I have five points. Mine is simple. Is that I have never been stung by a bee. Ooh. I've also really? never been stung by a bee. I've been what stung by a heck? wasp, but not a bee. Oh. I could be deathly allergic. I have no idea. I should have been more specific. I I should have purchased uh, an EpiPen or something. I don't know. Okay, well, I lose a point. So my first one that I have never done, I have never cheated on a test. Damn it. I've never cheated on a test. (laughs) (laughs) I've cheated on several tests. Um, (laughs) Really? (laughs) I I would say that I cheated through most of high school. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, to me... To me, school was like not something that was teaching me something. School was a system to be gained. Like it was just to work the system. So if it was a class that didn't matter to me, I wasn't going to. Such a Jeff thing to say. I wasn't going to spend my time (laughs) putting the effort into things that I knew that I didn't care about or wouldn't need to learn later. And so I was like, well, just take the easy way out. And I did. And it worked. Oh my God. The things we're learning about each other. All right. So how many points does everyone have left? I have five still. I have three. Uh, I have Jeff four. has four. That one got me. Alan, you're gonna you're gonna break your I'm gonna record lose, here. Man. Yeah, yeah. You're excited about it though. I so am. I'll give you, <laughs> you another. All right, Mona, you're up. <laughs> All right. I have never poured over my coffee. Ooh, Is that how you say it? You are playing dirty. I play so dirty. Really dirty. Is that how you say you poured this? over? Are you saying or that you've it? never prepared your coffee via pour over? Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. I don't even know how to say it. You hipster fiends. Because I've never poured over my coffee. Like, I don't even know what that means. You use pour over coffee, you know, with the pour over method. All right. right. So if that's how we're going to play. I feel like you guys are nefarious. I should have played it totally differently. I look at this. I was trying to be like a bee sting. That's like a regular thing. You are going after us specifically. I like it. And I am. I like it. I'm coming after We're you with the next playing one. Playing with anybody? It's my We're turn, not just right? Playing with anybody? Is it my yeah. turn? Uh, yeah. Okay. So I have never sung at a family gathering. <laughs> oh man! Every time we sing, every time. Every time, man. Oh, I have like how many? How many points now? Two, one. You're down to four. two. You're, you're supposed to keep two. track of your you? own. Jeff, you're know. at four. I'm at three. Three, okay. Four, three, two. Okay. Actually, so I, I do have a male organ. I have drank pour over coffee. I have sung at a family reunion and I have been bee stung. I have one point. And I, oh, you're right. I'm actually point. really excited about this because it's the first time <laughs> that I feel experienced. Full and compliance. it's making me feel really happy. All right, <laughs> Alan, throw yours out. Okay, here we go. I have never in my life wrapped a present. And been happy with the job I did. Oh, I'm such a good rapper. How did you know that? <laughs> Dang it. That point's sad. I am self-deprecating enough that I've never been satisfied with the job that I've done. Oh, my anyway, gosh, so Jeff. Your job, you're, you're, man. Jeff's a spin doctor, man. If I need I like a PR that, spin, if I get I in like trouble that, with Jeff. the media, I'm coming to you. So, Mona, we're back to you, right? We're back to me? Okay. Never have I ever had the title of pastor in front of my name. Boom, 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 boom. All right. that's how, Well, Alan's out. You're done, huh? I'm out. I'm gone. Alan, congratulations. You destroyed me. All right, here we go. You ready? How yep. many points wait, do you wait. have, Jeff? I, have, I still have four. No, I have three. I have three. How many do you have, Jeff? I have two. Oh, man. Yeah. So here we go. All you right. ready? Yep. Prepare to be at two. I have okay. never <laughs> interacted with my biological grandfather. Ooh. Well, okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> like I'm super so easy right now, now that it's like, okay, never have I ever had children. Wait, it's my turn. You can't no, just Alan, skip me. Out, dude. You're I out. Me out, but I still get to put my answer. I I want to say this one because I okay, want to know if you guys Okay, but the, my, my thing just now counted though. Jeff, you're down to one, right? I'm two? Yes. Okay. All right. I have never wiped my screen on my phone to make the smudges go in the same direction. I've definitely never done that. <laughs> Damn it. Jeff. I'm out. Just <laughs> knocked you out cold, brother. I looked up like 36 things that everybody does because I couldn't think of things. And that was supposedly one of them. They 
push the smudge marks to go the same direction. You exploited That's my Why? tendency for organization. I think it's OCD or something. I don't know. I've never heard of that anyone doing that before. I feel like right? that got a little ugly. Like we were like we were <laughs> we were attacking personally like like it it's all your fault, Mona. You like, Oh yeah, you. well I've never I met my grandfather. You incited oh, yeah. our wrath. I want a rematch. We're going to do this again. What? We're going to do no. this again at some time in the, the future. This is going to be a segment that's coming back and and I'm going to destroy the both of you. I'm going to no. find out everything <laughs> I know about your family. I have the advantage I want, I because I'm reserved and I don't share everything. But you two, you just throw it out there I, for the world to hear, and I I'm going to explode it. I've got so much on you, Jeff. I would don't even would really like that. to lose again. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a good note to end on. I think. Well, hopefully. You enjoyed our episode, and hopefully we have brought you much pleasure in listening to this episode of Irenacast. That'll do it for us this week. If you'd like to find ways that you can support the show, all the ways are listed at irenacast.com slash support. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. And I'm the best loser ever. And I'm Alan. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining the conversation. Love it.